everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Last Ones In podcast, where being late to the party isn't a bad thing. I am your host, Jariah Archuleta, and with me today we have Robbie. Hello. Jell back, finally. And then on the other side of the country, we have Rocky. Hey. And today, Robbie will be presenting the movie. Uh, take it away, Robbie. Today, we're going to be watching The Cell, which is a movie that I've been talking about doing for a while, but, you know, other movies got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, a, I think, a perfect time to get to it, because, you know, Halloween and all of that. Yeah, Halloween. Uh, the way that I was able to talk Dry into letting us watch this movie is I kept on telling him about how this was a very underrated horror movie, which I didn't think so for a while until I realized that, like, everyone who I thought saw it apparently hasn't seen it. Yeah, I, def- I definitely haven't seen it. Like, I know bits and pieces of it. Yeah. But I've never, I don't... Especially since I, like, gave the spiel to Angelica and kind of... <laughs> ruin what it's about for you two at least i now know exactly what it's about yes but. yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah so i guess yeah i've not really seen it but i guess i know what it's about yeah and then i guess Jell hasn't seen it Rocky, have you seen this um i you know i haven't okay. actually i've always i've tried to see this movie a couple of times and just never got the chance yeah which i think part of the reason why i find it weird is because a mutual friend between Rocky, Dry, and me introduced this movie to me like back when this movie was still new, so I figured he showed you guys too, but I guess I was just wrong. Nah, nah, never seen it. I feel like this is an underrated horror movie, so I fig- figured it would be interesting to talk about it for the podcast. Yeah, um, you've been uh, yelling its praises out for quite a while. Yeah, so. which I will say it's not the best horror movie in the world, but it's, it's definitely worth a watch in my opinion. It's going to be interesting to see what you guys think of it, though, because... Just because I like something doesn't automatically mean you guys are going to like it. <laughs> you have a very different taste in movies than myself, I would say. Yeah, that, that is fair. That is fair. Uh, but yeah, before we get to that, uh, I guess I'm going to ask, let's start with Rocky. It's been a while since you've been on. What's been going on in your life? You know the deal, man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely the thing. Not much. <laughs> How about our host with the most, or whoever goes next in this crazy circle? We've we have decided not to call me the host with the most anymore. I think I am now the host with the medium. Well, that's very the, that's very that's very fair. Are the host of the average? Are the hostess with the hostess? <laughs> I'm not very good at rhymes, you guys. This is why my rap career never took off. Oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> The the host with as much as his guests. Yeah. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, uh, Robbie, how about you? Mostly work, man. Uh, it's one of those, I, I, they actually approved overtime again for where I work, so I went from working a normal schedule to working more again. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Uh, not a lot to say besides that, I guess. Cool. Cool. And Jell, it's been, what, 10 months since you've been on? <laughs> How's your life going? Um, a lot's been happening. Um, uh, moved to the big city. Uh, this place is expensive. Other than that, just trying to work and get some overtime. Just pay for bills. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of sucks when you live in a small town for a while and get used to the small town price of everything and then... Realize you get pretty much paid the same to live in the city, but everything costs more. Yeah. <laughs> they just nickel and dime you. Yeah. And quarter you. Yeah. 
<laughs> How is uh, the host with the mediumist? <laughs> I am existing currently. And, uh, Fair. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess let's get on to this movie, Robbie. So I guess that means read the back of the box now, since it's been a while since I've hosted. I guess not hosted, but introduced the movie. Yeah. We should, uh, since I kind of ruined it for Dry and Angelica, Rocky, what do you think this movie's about? Can't we pretend that <laughs> Dry and Angelica haven't seen it? <laughs> I guess Dry could cut out the two times that I've said so far that I are spoiled it while pitching the movie to Angelica. No, no, let's, let's just cut the parts where we acknowledged it, but keep where you said it. So, like... <laughs> We should keep where you've talked about them seeing it, but not like when we broke the fourth wall. <laughs> or we could do that. Um, <clears throat> I think from my understanding of this movie, you know, Robbie, do you want to? OK, well, so look, I also know what this movie's about. <laughs> yeah, I, too, know what this movie's about. So I don't know. But what do to do you? <laughs> Uh, well, I guess since everyone else knows, tell me how close I am. Okay. Um, Jennifer Lopez is some sort of criminologist or she's a psychologist or something. And she's going into the mind of a serial killer. And I can't remember why is it because maybe he knows where someone's hidden or something or something. Maybe they're trying to rehabilitate him, but I can't recall why she's in his mind. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're close. Yeah. From the pitch that Robbie gave Joe, uh, that sounds, that sounds right. (laughs) <laughs> i mean to be fair though like part of the reason why i had to give her the pitch though is because like i said she's been known for doing a lot of romantic comedies around this time and even on the back of the box for this uh whenever it gives you like a movie reference of where you might know her from they give her the monster-in-law movie which was like a romantic comedy where she had to deal with her husband's parent or with her parents in law i said that correctly <laughs> <laughs> well Let's hear the back of the box, Robbie. Okay. Since everyone has a pretty good idea of what this movie's already about. In order to save a life, she'll have to risk her own. Jennifer Lopez takes a terrifying journey into the mind of a killer in this chilling, critically acclaimed psychological thriller. When a serial killer falls into a coma before his last victim can be found, a child therapist must use an experimental treatment to enter his mind and learn the secrets before it's too late. This visually haunting world world threatens the very existence when she becomes trapped by the terror inside. Now an FBI agent, played by Vince Vaughn, must rescue her from the killer's nightmare, or nightmare's mind, before he too is lost in the twisted world forever. Okay. And this movie is about an hour and 40 minutes long, and it is rated R for bizarre violence in sexual images, nudity, and language. Bizarre violence. Oh, you'll see. see. (laughs) It's like clowns doing some weird stuff. Uh <laughs> it's bizarre, I'll say that much. I mean, there's a couple of images that I remember because they're kind of very popular from this movie. Yeah. But like if you were to Google image this movie, you'd find some pretty bizarre imagery too. Right. But right. uh one of the things whenever I was trying to pitch this movie to Drya when I was talking about it is uh it was very experimental in its time because they tried using style as a substance for this movie. Instead of, you know, substance over style or style over substance, they just kind of tried intertwining it with this movie in a weird way. Okay, okay. They should make a movie called Bloated Fly, and on the front of the picture shows just a bloat fly with its midsection cut open and all these writhing humans are just... <laughs> just coming out of it. it. Huh. 
that sounds like a horrible image. <laughs> you know, in this, speaking of bizarre imagery. Yeah. For rentals and stuff like that. It's not on any streaming services from what I saw, but you can rent it on YouTube, Google Play, Vudu, and Amazon for two ninety nine. Yeah, most more or less the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. But once again, since this movie kind of... Once again, I thought it did better than it, it did. Apparently, like, you know, it's, it did well enough, but not enough to be not lost in time, I guess. So it's not like... <laughs> I guess it's not one of those classic movies that people demand to be on Netflix or anything like that. Right, right. That'd be a good movie for this podcast. The Usual Suspects. Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've heard good things about that movie. It's a good movie. You haven't seen that movie? No. Wow. All right. Well, I guess uh, let's go watch this movie. All right, yeah. Okay. Um, We'll be back here in a little bit with our non-spoiler thoughts on The Cell. Talk to you guys in a little bit. And we are back from watching The Cell. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what you guys think, or what you guys thought of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I guess with that being said, I should probably just ask you guys right away, Zadraya, in your non-spoilery thoughts, what do you think of this movie? Um, I think there are aspects of it that are really, really good and interesting. There's a couple shots that I really liked in it. Like, visually, it's a really interesting movie to sit down and watch. And it has a couple of graphic moments that um, I guess we should say E's sitting this one out because we had talked beforehand and decided that he would probably not be able to take some of the gore and stuff in it. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a couple scenes to where he would have just been completely out and not have seen the entire movie and that would have been a weird episode. But <laughs> um, Yeah, I feel, well, we did discuss it. Even he said, like, with just a, me describing one scene in this movie, he noped out. Yeah. Just hearing what it was about. Yeah. So yeah, I think everything else is fairly straightforward, though. Like, it, it kind of is exactly what it says it is. Yeah. There's not any, like, twists or turns or like, oh my god, this is this completely different thing. I do have a couple of questions about cages that I'm going to ask later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's it's fine. It shows its age in a lot of ways. Yeah, and that's I also very fair. I think the casting was really weird for me. Like, it just felt weird. Like, it, the actors who were in it shouldn't have been acting. Like, Vince Vaughn is in it, and Jennifer Lopez is in it. And it feels like they don't really mesh. It's it's strange. But, I don't know, it's it's okay. I would have a really hard time recommending it. But there are some cool shots in there. Uh, I would say if, like, someone is real, real, real into horror and trying to catch up on, like, the 2000s horror stuff, for some reason, it was the worst era of horror. <laughs> but if you were trying to, then maybe it's worth a stream if you can find it somewhere. Uh, I don't think it's good enough to pay money for, though. Okay. Yeah, worth worth a stream if it's out there. All right. I guess uh, going down the line with at least my view of sight with this, I guess next we'll go to Rocky. Rocky, with your non-spoilery thoughts, what'd you think of this movie? Fuck this movie. <laughs> Thank you. And that's all. That's all for the podcast for me. I hope it's a good one. <laughs> it was it was okay. Okay. Um I would say it's worth a rent, but maybe a stream. There's just they got some stuff in this movie that's really cool. And then they just have a lot of stuff in this movie that's really not cool. <laughs> just really just not good quality. 
Like Vince Vaughn. You know, I was I wasn't necessarily maybe actually maybe there's I don't know. I felt like this he he was really young in this movie, so I felt like maybe this was early on the career. So I don't think you know typecasting they probably had too much of an idea of where he would grow into. So I feel like a little of our opinion is what we know him from that came later. Yeah, so I that's not an issue I necessarily have with the movie. I actually thought that the this the cast was really cool. They had they had some people in this movie that like I noticed from other suspense movies of that like time frame that I thought was cool. I also feel like I don't know if I was was Ray Liotta in this movie for like a second. I don't Ray, think he was. Ray Liotta. You know, from Goodfellas? No maybe? I don't think he was. I feel like he was for like <laughs> five seconds. I swear to God. <laughs> um Maybe he wasn't, but I thought that the, the cast wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting much from the cast in general. I was actually really surprised. There's just there's just some things in this movie I thought were not good. It's, I think, at least worth the rent. I mean, I, I feel like it's a notch above a B-rated horror movie. Definitely not an A-rated horror movie, but, you know, has some good parts to it. There was definitely a lot of experimentation in this movie, but also, I guess, with uh, the thing with some of the typecasting with this, too. Like, one thing to keep in mind with Vince Vaughn, I think he was trying to go more into horror or the horror genre this time around because uh, two years before this movie, he actually uh, played Norman Bates in the remake of Psycho. The shot for shot remake. Yeah. <laughs> no joke. Okay. Yeah. So he was already, that was kind of what he was trying to go into, then it sounds like. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's. I guess that's really all I have to say about that. I'm gonna go on my phone really quickly and look if Sam <laughs> Ray Liotta was in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, I guess with that one, I should ask Jell. What did you think of this movie? Uh, it was okay. <laughs> so I feel like the cast with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Lopez should have been a little bit better. If I like, it just didn't really click. I think that some of the visuals were pretty good. However, um, it was a straightforward movie. I can actually follow it. I'm not a um, horror like fanatic or anything like that. Um, but there, there were some hits and misses. Okay. During this film, I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that that is something. <laughs> Put that on the box. Mine didn't fall asleep, so... <laughs> I really think that this would be a stream for me, but, like, a regular subscription. Like, if you have, like, one of those additional, like, premium add-ons, don't get the add-on for it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Hulu is very infamous for that. But yeah, uh, for me, I did like this movie, but I think it's because there's a bunch of things... Like, there actually are hidden things in the movie that I found out while doing research for the movie, and also... Uh, like I said before, uh, I was introduced to this movie back whenever I was still rather young, and so I think it kind of has a little bit of that nostalgia for me on it. I will say it is a bizarre movie, and it is hard to recommend for a lot of people, so I would say, even though I own this movie and I did buy it, like if you can find this movie, you can usually find it on the cheap, uh, I would say it is worth at least a stream or a rent, though. Well, cool. But if you are into more bizarre serial killer horror movies, then this might be a buy for you but <laughs> seems like there's some issues you guys had with the movie that we're gonna have to talk about in the spoiler section so we should probably cut to the spoilery talk of it so if you want to watch 2000's The Cell 
before we jump into it, now's your chance to watch it before we get into the spoilery talk of it. All right. And we're back with the spoilers. What's the uh, synopsis plot of this? Thing? So like a 60 second synopsis of this is it follows multiple uh, storylines. It follows a child psychologist who is dealing with the coma patient that had, you know, um, schizophrenia as a child that went into a coma and just, you know, for plot convenience, had billionaire parents that could help <laughs> fund a project to where she could uh, talk to him while he was in his coma state. So that way he could still be connected to the real world uh, with this project that apparently had been worked on for seven years prior. It is also dealing with a serial killer who has a tendency to, or not tendency, who stalks his victims and then uh, kidnaps them, holds them for about two or three days, and then kills them and makes dolls out of them. And the FBI agents who are trying to find him during this time and while all this is happening at the same time uh they find the evidence that they need to find the serial killer which probably would have been the end of almost any other movie uh but he goes into a coma and they have no idea where his last victim is and the only way that they can actually find out or try to find this last victim is to go into his mind while he's in a coma and thus they have to use this pro or use this project and she sees very bizarre things of a schizophrenic serial killer the dream stuff visually, I think, is uh, by far the best part of the movie. Yeah. And that was, I guess, meant to be the best part of the movie, too. Like, that's what they put most of their effort into with it. Because when it's not in the dream sections, uh, I'm going to say this movie's pretty boring. I mean, it's mostly just like a lot of world building in a sense. Yeah. Whenever it's not in the dream sequences. You don't really need to do much world building when you're on planet Earth. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> or I guess character development since Rocky needs to be more specific <laughs> it just kept making me think of Inception the whole time eh, kind of this was 10 years before Inception but yeah, but yeah. Like, it's kind of like the uh, what I told you whenever before you watch this movie this movie in a weird way is kind of like Assassin's Creed meets Silent Hill yeah which is weird but apt yeah <laughs> how is it like Assassin's Creed because they go into like that dream sequence, animus. Yeah, kind of like the animus. Oh, okay. That's like the least interesting part of Assassin's Creed. So I, I, I haven't played in a while, so I, I kind of forgot about that. But yeah, it's like if you were to go into the animus, but like the world you go into is more like Silent Hill. At least in the way that I was thinking about the movie. You know, it's interesting you say that because when I finished the movie, they suggested Silent Hill at the bottom of the screen. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know with you guys saying this movie is okay at best I still feel like this is a better movie than the Silent Hill movie I don't know man I've been coming around on that Silent Hill movie lately I don't know man I really like that Silent Hill movie the second one is definitely total fucking garbage <laughs> that's just a shit show but that first one at least visually it captures Silent Hill really well visually yeah but story wise eh. <laughs> <laughs> okay so immediately I just want to say with the cage that he puts the girls in yeah um, it's a big glass cage and it fills with water. Like at first it starts filling with sprinklers and like little things leaking from the ceiling. And then it starts coming out of the drain at the bottom. Where's the entrance or the exit to it? How does he get into the cage? That's honestly a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, there's it's possibly there's a trapdoor on top of it, but I think they just probably wanted to make it look more so like it was inescapable than anything else. So that's why you don't see any. It's escapable, but how do you put them in? <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking because he works with industrial equipment, I just imagine that he had four pieces and that he had like industrial like giant bolts or something. And then he just put it, inserted it all as a piece. And then when it was time, he <laughs> just took the time. whole thing apart. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like he had the um, education to do it. I mean, they yeah. hired him to... To seal it off yeah. and to watch over it. Yeah. Because yeah. that's something that they do say at the end of it, is that the reason why he has all this equipment is because uh, a company that bought all this equipment went bankrupt, and then they uh, had him oversee the land uh, after the bankruptcy. So every single time that he finds a new victim... He takes the entire project apart, puts her in there, and then puts the entire wall project back together. That's a long-ass project. I mean, we're, we're also talking about a psychopathic schizophrenic, so... I, I, Logic. I, <laughs> uh, I guess that is uh, one little fun fact about it, though, too, is uh, with this movie, the director, uh, he says that for the film, he felt like the entire thing was an opera, and you're never subtle with an opera, and if he could choose drama over realism, he would choose drama. So there's a lot of things like they don't exactly make sense in the movie, but since it has to deal with things like dream logic and everything, like not everything has to make sense, even if it's in the real world. But because it's more dramatic to just, you know, have a sealed off container, like he just had the sealed off container for it. Yeah. And I mean, I guess like with you guys saying that he like he is a very professional person, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I guess I could see him doing that. Like, I guess he figured out the plumbing somehow, which he's figured out how to reverse a drain. Which does that just mean that it's like a big giant water tank that all the water comes into and then goes from? Maybe it's like a valve, like an open close valve or something. Yeah, I mean towards the beginning you do see a valve that he opens up to let all the water out, but that's true. It's also attached to a big generator that you see towards the end of the movie. So yeah. chances are it just has like a it flows both ways. Plus apparently it's also are all on a big automated system. Yeah. So he's definitely not dumb. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. He knows his stuff. But I guess another thing that uh, is a fun little fact about this movie. The director is Tarzim Singh, very Indian director. <laughs> and I guess he was mostly known in Hollywood for doing like commercials and music videos. And this is actually his first feature film that he did. I could see that. And I guess he was actually really attracted to the project because he felt like visually he had no limits for what he was able to do for it. Yeah. I mean, whenever you're dealing with as many dream sequences as this is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, besides that, um, with it also being very visual style, too, I guess the director was very keen on the flotation part of it, which I guess he actually got from the idea from a 1978 movie called Coma, where they had a bunch of coma patients that were floating in a room. And uh-huh. uh, he so this wanted... was not related to BDSM. Uh, I don't know. The kind guy, of... like, uh, hangs himself above the corpse dolls and then, like, ejaculates on them. So I'd say it's kind of related to BDSM. Yeah, and with that one, I guess the director, he very much wanted to give people a reason to be terrified of this serial killer. That's why he added that scene wherever he was floating above that girl after she was been bleached and like was listening to her <laughs> plead for help on that videotape while masturbating. I mean, like I wouldn't feel like scared of him, but I just would probably think <laughs> that he has some problems, which is very evident. In the movie? Yeah. Jiraiya, you think BDSM is hanging above corpses <laughs> jacking off on them? <laughs> what is that really what you equate that with? Maybe he does. 
Ah, they're tangential, I might say. <laughs> <laughs> I I was with Joe on the fact that I didn't really think that it didn't remind me of BDSM. Just some dude with freaking metal rings being a weird boy. Also, I guess, yeah, it would make sense now I'm thinking about how, like, he gets off with his victims, that he, like, has this entire rig that he attaches himself to and then hovers above them to ejaculate over them while he records, like, them dying and watching the videotape back. I guess it kind of makes sense that he would be a person who would just build his entire cage every time. Yeah. <laughs> Very complicated person. Jiraiya, you would be the perfect neighbor for this guy because he would just walk around doing all this stuff. Like, I don't know, maybe he's in a BDSM or some shit. <laughs> I don't know his life. <laughs> There's people screaming all the time. Yeah, BDSM. I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> Ask more questions. <laughs> But yeah, like that very, that beginning shot, like apparently that all took place over the course of two days with that because they had to use stunt doubles and <laughs> get everything set up in that basement and everything. And like, I guess the rig that they used was super complicated to actually hang him up without legitimately hanging him from steel rings. No shit. his back. Yeah. Like uh, so much so, I guess during that, like one thing that the director was saying was that I guess he got desensitized to the whole thing because he didn't think it was that big of a deal to kind of... He was just trying to show how scary this guy is until, like, after he saw the finished product and people were like, what the fuck is the matter with you, man? (laughs) He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's kind of a lot for someone who hasn't been filming this for two days. (laughs) Just someone comes in, hey, producer here, just want to check on the what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Uh, Apparently, there was a lot of things that he wanted in this film that he had to fight production on, and not all of it made it into the film, and some of it I feel kind of probably should have that was one of them that was kind of iffy though he said like afterwards he felt like he maybe went a little bit too far with the suspension scene with how disturbing it was and uh another little fun fact about that scene is uh even though it was like going back and forth between um butcher's last name uh vincent uh vince vaughn no uh the guy who played the serial killer his name's also vincent oh i have no idea he Uh, didn't look familiar yeah he's been in a couple different things like one good example, or one thing that he's actually really known for is um, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, is he in that? Yeah. Uh, he was the, um, he's the fat boy at the boot Oh, camp. that's him? Yep, that's him. Oh, okay. I do know him then. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's huh. in that. He, he's been in a lot of films, but he's also known as one of those chameleon actors. Like, he just kind of gets absorbed into whatever film he's in. So, like, you can take screenshots from a bunch of different films he's been in and not recognize him in any of them. Yeah, I didn't even realize that was him. That's insane. Yeah. Huh. But, um, yeah, I guess, like, during that, um, because they told him to do, like, the eccentric breathing during that whole masturbation scene and the fact that he was being held up by a belly pan at that point, I guess, uh, that scene wherever he's screaming at the end of it, uh, he legitimately passed out. What? After just going, (laughs) for two days. I mean, he's right to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They said that he was fine afterwards, but (laughs) apparently just, like, over our over hyperventilating during that entire scene made him pass out vincent d'onofrio yeah 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 yeah. yeah. It, it it spelled weird <laughs> but anyways um there was that and also during that scene because that scene in particular it's going back and forth between him making the are uh, this his victim into a doll and Catherine, the character played by jennifer lopez uh kind of at her house trying to relax at the end of the day after she had a rough therapy session i guess yeah like that I think her character is the one that I have the hardest time with in the movie. She never feels, like, invested at all. She's not a good actor. <laughs> Fair? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I mean, you're probably right. Like, but she's in leather a lot, which is cool, I guess. But 
feel like that's something that she wanted. <laughs> Actually, that's something that the director wanted because he wanted those suits to make it seem like a person that was flayed. So that way, it's just something like you would, your brain would just automatically go to that by seeing, if you just saw a quick picture of that of you know i mean it did remind me of the muscular structure yeah Mm -hmm. and it was it was like the muscular structure of someone who's flayed floating in midair i thought it was more like a um like a fake sensory like deprivation like yeah and i guess like yeah and i guess with the original idea it was supposed to be like more of an eccentric outfit to make her seem cool but he felt like that'd be dated so he decided to go with that suit design also, I guess he actually did have an eccentric design for, like, the cloth that goes over their face whenever they go into the simulation. <laughs> but then they ran out of money, so, like, just put a couple of fake wires on there on a washcloth and put it on their face. Well, they wanted to make, <laughs> they wanted to see more high-tech, and that's actually one of the uh, fights that he lost, which the only way that you actually see a bit of what the intricate design is is that first entry into the serial killer's mind whenever, like, it shows, like, that weird grid yeah. that's kind of circling around. Uh, that's what the original design mostly looked like, but it looked like that up close, huh. but they went for a digital design because I guess the production team wanted something that looked more high tech since it was like future tech that they were dealing with, with the movie. It looked like a wet cloth with a motherboard on it. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> but there's that, uh, one thing I thought was funny because I actually had to go back and rewatch it to, uh, see what he was talking about is, uh, the director was, uh, during that scene whenever she's like walking around her house in her underwear and she looks into the fridge. He says that he learned a very valuable lesson on not to have your lead actress walking around in her underwear when there's a plot point in the or in the scene. Because if you look on the right side of that scene, there's actually a picture of or there's a picture of the horses in that pose of that horse she was riding at the very beginning. Yep, didn't notice that. Yeah, apparently nobody <laughs> noticed that. Yeah, yeah, he fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> that's what happens if you put Jennifer Lopez in her underwear in a scene. Don't expect anyone to pay attention to anything. Else. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much exactly what happened. Did you notice the horse, Rocky? No, no. I was actually being very critical of that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole idea of that was to have a plot point of like the reason why that horse turned into that statue when she was right or after she was done riding it in the desert is because that picture she has up on her wall. But nobody saw that because there's Jennifer Lopez ass on the other half of the screen. And like when I went back and watched it, like literally just the entire right half of that screen is that picture. <laughs> It's like he didn't even want you to pay attention to it. Yeah, like he sounded annoyed in the commentary. It was kind of funny. He was just like, yeah, I I learned the hard way not to put plot points whenever you have your actress walking around in her her underwear because everybody loved this scene, but for the wrong reason. (laughs) Uh, There's that. Uh, Another thing that I found out about that is uh, they didn't have time to make prosthetic or like a prosthetic body for any of this for the victim. Oh, is that just a real person? Yeah. Yeah, uh, they oh. they put her in different stages of makeup throughout it, so different stages of decomposition. Did you not notice her chest like kind of breathing in and out? I no, no, that. I was looking at her lips most of the time. Oh, okay, yeah. but yeah, like that was just her. So like, whenever he's hanging above her in the scene, apparently for that scene, for those two days, they just kind of like they put a blanket <laughs> over her to warm her up for a little bit, and then take the blanket <laughs> off her whenever they were shooting, and then like spritz her, and then shoot the scene. That would be the most awkward thing to shoot in the world. There's, it actually got even worse than that because uh, that scene underneath the bridge, apparently the director saw forensic photos during in a documentary of a gangland shooting, and the person are uh, the in the photos the person had their eyes open still, and there was ants crawling on their face, so he wanted that for the scene in there. Whenever you see her underneath the bridge, that's just the actress, and they put live ants on her face for that scene, and she just had to hold still. Oh, that actress yeah. went through. She went through a lot for being in the film for not that long. Right, like, can you imagine, like, I'm finally in a movie, I have screen time. Oh, what movie is it? I don't 
I don't think we should go. <laughs> I'm just naked the whole time and makeup. Vincent D'Onofrio's fake masturbating over you for two days straight. Yeah. But yeah, like, I, I feel like that actress doesn't get enough credit for what she went through <laughs> for this movie. But, like, just because the ant scene alone, but everything else, because they just had her in full body makeup with all these different decomposition scenes and her, turning her into a doll and having her, like, fake bleached out and everything. Like, they put a lot of work into that for a little bit of scene, but it worked really well. I feel the like they, they could have been able to afford a doll, man. Well, apparently it wasn't a money thing. Apparently it was a time constraint thing. Oh. It oh. was... It it took less time to put her in full makeup, like, four or five separate times in different stages of decomposition than it would have been to make, like, a full prosthetic of her body. Oh. Because, yeah, there's casting, and then right. you have to make silicone molds of it, and try to make up it to make it look more realistic and then they had to make multiple ones for, multiple, for different stages of decomposition and blah 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 and like for this being a movie with a-listed actors and more or less an a-listed budget like they actually ran into a bunch of budget constraints because of some of the visual shots that they wanted to do too so is that why we got the cgi that we did probably yeah <laughs> uh the director has gone on a couple different interviews this it was after this movie but him saying that uh he's not a big fan of cgi and he'd rather go with practical effects if he could, but CGI just mostly meant to clean up shots. Right. So I have a question. Has this director directed anything past this? Yes. He's done like six or seven movies. Uh, the most notable one I could think of at the moment was the 2011 movie Immortals, which was like a movie, or uh, like a Greek mythology movie. Right. And that was actually the movie that got Henry Cavill, or Henry Cavill his, um, kind of his start in Hollywood before he became Superman. Huh. Okay. Which the most notable thing, cause I have seen that movie, but it's been a while. The thing I remember the most is they have a fight scene with gods and Titans at the end. That's really, really cool. But other than huh. that, there are some forgettable moments in there. He is very much a director that loves to put a lot of stylistic, uh, moments in his films. Right. He seems if, I mean, I know, I know the movie you're talking about. I never watched it, but I saw previews and whatnot. Yeah. That movie um, is also very stylistic. Right. He seems to be more style over substance. In a lot of cases, yeah, but with this movie in particular, they tried using that style as a substance, which is why, you know, they have a lot of the shots that they have because it's meant to, you know, be put in mind of a serial killer. Right. Um, so talking about the serial killer thing, actually, mm -hmm. and being in the mind of a serial killer, um, I just want to run this past you guys because this, this is what I was able to, to get out of, like, why he kills people that way. He is obsessed with his baptism, and he is also obsessed with not having his mother but he's obsessed with floating in midair. Is it like a womb thing? Is it like he didn't have a mother figure? And so he, every woman he kills, he like puts them in a womb and kills them. I think that, um, the baptism was like the start. I mean, he, I feel like his childhood was already fucked up as it is, but I feel like the baptism, um, kind of like made something click in his mind about something with water and he doesn't want to be drowned in water, but I mean, during a baptism, like, you hold your head under for, like, I don't know, like, 10, 15 seconds, and then they, like, resurrect you or whatever. <laughs> um, but I think with that, plus um, some of the other, like, elements, I think it just uh, kind of meshed together. But, like, there's parts in it telling why he does what he does. Right. Like, the bat, like, I get the baptism thing, and it seems like it leans into that once you'd be like, this baptism thing kind of scarred him. But then it also shows stuff of, like, his dad being like, Remember, son, nobody loves us. Your mother left us. Look at that vagina. 
<laughs> like, and so I feel like it's maybe a motherly thing too, but it leans really heavily into the baptism part after that. And I don't know why the baptism would scar him that much, though, is the part that I'm having difficulty understanding. It should be a catalyst. So my interpretation is that the baptism represents two things. One, it's when I think he was infected with whatever parasite triggered the paralysis. So that's when he started hearing the voice. Oh, that's right. True. I forgot about yeah. that thing. Um, secondly, it was an issue with power. There was definitely that. He talks about, I can't, I think during the conversation with him when he's near the bloodbath that he didn't have power to stop his dad, though his dad was nothing. Um, there, there's a few other issues. So I think that was the main issue. The reason he created this persona was he created a powerful persona that seems to, I, I feel like, so this is going to sound weird. I feel like he identifies as a woman. That's why that powerful figure is able to sort of encapsulate that, but has the power to enforce that. Um, mentality i feel like when the dad was like look at that vagina um there's another shot that happened when he was playing with dolls which by the way i don't think a boy playing with dolls means that you identify as being a woman i don't think that's that that's (laughs) that shouldn't correlate i'm only making that claim because of his alter ego is very has a very strong feminine quality right um but the boy was playing with dolls and the dad lost his shit called him a faggot I think was his his words. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the look at that vagina probably happened afterwards because the dad probably became hyper obsessed with making his boy masculine, which created power issues, which kind of created this idea that I can't be who I really am unless I have power. So this feminine quality within him also is also associated with power because he probably feels like that's the only time he can be that. So power power is a big issue with him. The women part is he's actually not killing them because he hates them. He's killing them because he's trying to keep them safe, which is he relates that with the bird at the end uh, when he has a conversation that he drowned the bird to keep it safe from his father. So he also equates violence with a form of protection. It's my interpretation. Yeah, that makes way more sense than my thing. Yeah. <laughs> So like what I was saying before, uh, there is a lot of things that are very on the nose about this movie. And one of the things that the director fought for is to kind of have some subtleties in there, which there are some subtleties in there. And you guys got some of it right and some of it close, too. <laughs> um, so a lot of it does have to do with his father. Uh, they say that he has a rare type of schizophrenia, which usually they say is um, associated with some kind of or something that has to do with water, something that has to do with floating that triggers it. During that scene, after you watch the father abuse him as a child, which I guess that's or that the whole idea of that shot, uh, the director said that he wanted a nanny cam feel because like the whole idea of like, you know, you think child abuse might be happening in a family, you put a nanny cam in there. But then going back and watching the footage, you're seeing everything that's happening, but you're powerless to do anything about it. And he wanted to try to recreate that feeling. So putting her into a closet and forcing her to watch like, you know, all this abuse happened to him while he was a young boy was part of giving her that feeling of helplessness while watching it whenever she asks him about the voice that he hears which like you guys said is that alternate persona of his he said it happened during his baptism because they held him 
underwater for too long and he felt like he may have been having a seizure or maybe he was drowning. Okay. And then he was saying after that, he started having trauma because that same night his father brought him home and broke three of his ribs and fractured his jaw, which shows, you know, kind of the really shitty home life that he had. And right. then with his father, that was always saying that, you know, our mother abandoned us. And then during that scene with that other woman, we we're saying that's not your mother. Uh, that was a prostitute. So uh, that's actually what the director said is that was uh, a prostitute. And you can't tell in that scene unless you you know what to look for, because they talked about in the commentary. But uh, the original scene, she was supposed to give him a doll as like, you know, saying like, hey, here's a toy for your son kind of thing. But the dad being the ultra masculine man that he is wasn't going to have it and didn't want his son playing with dolls. And then during that scene, he's like, look at that vagina. Uh, I actually <laughs> barely caught it this time around while watching it. He actually like after he says, take a look at that. He actually says that's a place of evil. Yeah, he does. Which kind of shows like he has this idea of like it's an evil place, like a woman's vagina is an evil place, which kind of puts that weird power fantasy in there. But the fact you gave him a doll, he started associating women with dolls on that. And then also with the bird, because if you notice at, or in his basement, there's some shots of some dolls with the bird's head. And so, yeah, it was that of um, in a weird way by drowning them. He's saving them that he are uh, because he drowned a bird to save it from his father whenever he was six. And he put those things together because uh, in his schizophrenic mind, he can't separate fantasy from reality. So all these things just inter- are intermingle with him. That also makes sense because if I, I do strongly feel like he he uh, definitely identifies as a woman just because of his alter ego. Uh, but that also makes sense why he equates that aspect of himself with like being a monstrous kind of figure, too. Yeah. Especially if the dad was like, that's that in there is 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 the bad hole. <laughs> yeah yeah um but no i think it just yeah it, it created like this very weird relationship with women in general with him as you can tell throughout the entire movie yeah i would say how uh, weird is underplaying a little bit but a yeah a bit yeah <laughs> i really like that though i thought that they created a believable villain save for the i i don't i really don't i'm really not convinced that the alter ego i don't even know if there's ever been a case like that i mean I, I don't that's not really i don't really delve deeply into the life of serial killers but i don't really know if of any who've self-detached to that degree so that part i didn't feel like was super believable but just the the backstory and stuff it was i i feel like cinema has like this weird duality where they kind of romanticize serial killers so it's you get like your hannibal lectors and the dude from seven who have just these Really, they, they're they very insightful into, like, the human condition. And then you have the other side of serial killers where, like, they're these ogres and stuff that <laughs> walk around swamps with axes, you know, <laughs> slamming it into teenagers having sex, which is a weird way to put that, but that's, it, it's <laughs> that's ho- my take. Yeah, it's Hollywood's take on the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath. I felt like they made a believable character in the backstory. And I could see someone who went through that definitely, you know, becoming something like this, except with the I mean, sure, you can you can add on schizophrenia, but I feel like it's such an easy like, oh, well, f- we need to give him a fucking yeah, which, <laughs> mental illness. I mean, one thing I probably should have done more research into is whether or not that was like an actual form of schizophrenia that he had or whether they just made it up for the movie. But because once again, the director's saying that. He'd rather have drama over realism. Like he may have just had that as a plot point of like, oh yeah, this is why all this is happening to him in his head. I would actually be really interested interested to know how many serial killers suffered from 
from schizophrenia. schizophrenia. Um, um, schizophrenia usually not the main factor. There's usually a lot of problems when they were growing up. Disassociation and uh, sociopathy. I would say more so than anything. Uh, schizophrenia. It, I mean, it, there's definitely ones out there, but none of the big famous ones that you know of. It's mostly people trying to hide their big dirty secret and uh, don't know how to handle it, and so it manifests into murder usually. Well, there was a couple of people, um, like famous killers with schizophrenia, like Edward Holloway. He was an American murderer that committed a uh, the Cal State Fullerton massacre in 1976. And then uh, there's this other dude, this British person, um, with this Al Qaeda association to it. There's some realism to it, yeah. then. Well, it's definitely there. Um, it still just doesn't strike me as very convincing in the movie. Disassociation, I know what you're talking about. I What I was referring more to was disassociation from the aspect of themselves that is it to the point that it's an entire different person that they're being traumatized by. Yeah, and I feel like it might have been for a plot point and for um yeah, for storytelling wise why they had, you know, the like the twisted king version of himself and the child version of himself for it. So I think I that, thought that was cool. Yeah. The twisted king part, I thought that that was really interesting. Um cuz I I actually do feel like that's something a lot of serial killers do have is hyper egotism. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Still the most unbelievable thing to me is the big giant cage. <laughs> yeah, especially since it's in reality. Right. But yeah, there's actually a couple of different fun facts about, like, you know, the first time that she goes into the entry for it. Like, because uh, as you guys noticed, there's some slow motion shots in here, which I think this is... There's a lot of slow motion shots. I think One they the, did that on purpose, too. It was. Some of which were, I think it's because, you know, the year 2000 or 1999 <laughs> when they probably filmed this, that was probably new technology. Um... Like one good example of that though is uh, apparently the dog splashing are splashing blood off of him while the tub is kind of splashing back and forth. From what one of the producers says, he may have gotten it wrong, but he said it was shot at like 750 frames a second. Yeah, to kind of get it. that slow motion effect. The problem with that is that uh, back then to get that kind of shot, you had to have some very intense lighting, and they said within a matter of about two or three seconds, it got it to like 115 degrees in that room, and it just kept on getting hotter. Like they said, if you left food in there long enough it would cook it and so like huh. that scene with that dog was less than a second long because that dog would splash the water or the blood water off of him and then just run out of the room <laughs> automatically it's like they're trying to cook me yeah pretty much <laughs> but there's that and uh one thing i thought that was kind of funny because this is something that got changed in the script because they were trying to argue like how to get this done was um the bodybuilder woman yeah that entire scene is real weird yeah it, it's meant to be a scene it's kind of like a an ode to his victims. And so like, these are the way that he viewed his victims in this room. And then it seems uh, to go off of what Rocky was saying, a way he viewed himself as well with the uh, purse, the bodybuilder woman carrying. No, that was one of his victims. That was one of his victims. Mm -hmm. What? The reason why they used her though, is I thought was kind of funny at least was uh, they had a hard time figuring about out how she was going to be carried off to the big baddie, but they knew that they had to write, you know, some kind of entity, carrying her to said big baddie which you know was the twisted king version of himself which is how he views himself in his mind and they're trying to figure out how to do it without using cgi because once again the director isn't a huge fan of cgi so he asked the production designer what's something that scares you and he said females with muscles and he laughed at that and said like yeah yeah they're kind of scary so they got the miss universe of that year to play that scene 
And I guess the only thing that they really added to her besides her suit is they put fake boobs on her because when you're a bodybuilder, you don't have a lot of fat in your chest. It's all muscle. Yeah. But they needed a reason to carry her off into there. So they made a bodybuilder one of his victims. Huh. That must have been like the most sexist interaction. Like, no, no, no. How are they supposed to know you're a woman? Someone get her some fake Yeah, that was was literally scared that they were going to think it was a guy in drag. So they put fake boobs on her. I, you know, the weird dichotomy of this is that they had that moment and then he's probably like, all right, so Vince Vaughn, we, we need we're, we're really moving away from the 80s where like the main character is very sexually aggressive. So we need to really respect women. And then just on like another day, he's like screaming at this actor for not having boobs. I just, I mean, I know he didn't really do that, but <laughs> just in your head, in your head canon, he was. <laughs> um. Besides that, another interesting thing about that scene when uh, they bring her to like the first iteration of his Twisted King version, the one that has like that fabric that's pulled off to his back, which is a very visually interesting scene to watch. The fabric on the walls is CGI, but the one attached to his back was actual fabric. Yeah, you can tell the wall stuff was CGI because even the ropes looked not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like it was meant to, they call it the gold room for that scene. And they said like all of that you know, with 1999 computers, getting that all CGI was a pain in the ass. Yeah, but they had actual fabric sticking to the back and they had to put like kind of a suit on him to attach it all together. And apparently that fabric was very hard to pull off the rollers for him, even though Vincent D'Onofrio is a very large man. He's like six foot five in real life. Yeah, and uh, it was very hard for him to pull so much so that they actually had to put a cable to the front of the uh, the front of the outfit to pull him forward. So that way it looked seamless while he was moving forward. And so there's a lot that they had to add and a lot that they had to take out for that scene. So it's one of those things that took all day for them to shoot. And apparently they had took the scene that they had because apparently an earthquake happened like right after he said, where do you come from at it? And they're like, yeah, that's just a shot we're going to have to use. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fabric's heavy. So, yeah. 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 (laughs) Especially whenever it's being held on spring loaded rollers. Yeah. There's another scene I didn't write it down, but I remember hearing about it from the commentaries, you know, because after that scene is whenever she exits or exits out of there where they have that plot point of she has a touch control. Of it. If it gets too intense, she can leave the dream world by mm-hmm. touching that button. She takes a break and she talks to Vince Vaughn's character, who is an FBI agent in this movie. And they start talking about how like uh, why he joined the FBI and how he used to be what his backstory is about how he used to be a lawyer or a prosecutor. And yeah. he dealt with uh, a lot of these serial killers. And because they got off on really dumb, dumb reasoning about how that guy. It was like the the big one was like there was a child molester or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? uh, he said the one that caused him to join the FBI was. That scene was so freaking edgelord. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there's a reason behind that, too, which is why I'm talking about it <laughs> uh, with that scene. um, so it was meant to, like, show more about his character, about, you know, how he used to be a prosecutor, but. Because there is tainted evidence, he got off, and then he went back, and this girl, or little girl that he molested, ended up killing her, and then sticking her heart in a freezer, and so he decided he was going to catch the bad guys instead of trying to prosecute them. Right. And the whole idea of that scene, though, too, is uh, apparently that was one of the scenes that he had to fight for, because they're supposed to have, like, this subtext of how uh, he was molested as a kid, which the only way that you actually get that he was molested as a kid is they're saying that Charles Gesch, the man who caused him to become an FBI agent was sexually molested as a child, which is why he's uh, crazy now, but he feels that someone could go through much worse than he did as a child and still come out without wanting to hurt, without ever wanting to hurt another human being and that he would know. 
You have to read a lot into that. Yeah. yeah. I, apparently you're supposed to. He wanted something subtle, and apparently they wanted it to be more on the nose than that. But he wanted, or he fought for it to be more subtle, which is why that scene is just that. That was just basically him arguing with production on why that scene is the way it is. I argue he made it so subtle that it doesn't exist. Kind of. There's <laughs> yeah. Actually- if, if you're watching that with somebody and they brought that up, you'd ask if they were okay. Like maybe he also was molested. <laughs> well, that like him. Like, I was gonna say with having that knowledge and rewatching that scene, you can kind of see it, but it is very, very subtle with him just saying that I think someone can go through. A, something a hundred times worse than that and come out without ever wanting to hurt another human being and she's saying are you so sure about that and he's like yeah trust me i would know i just took that well as maybe him. he should have given a wink <laughs> like a big wink like i would know <laughs> but like yeah i just took that as like i would know i prosecuted them like that's how i took it yeah, yeah. but he wanted it to be more subtle because he didn't want everything to be like super on the nose it comes that off as too subtle. subtle yeah exactly that's what i'm saying <laughs> that's why i'm telling you guys now because even in the commentary like it's like, okay, like, I guess I can kind of see that now that you've told me that. But they have a bunch of little tiny subtleties in this movie that unless you're part of the production team, you don't really see. Like, there was that or, like, <laughs> even, like, I guess things that they do with the outfits in this movie. Like, um... There's a lot of, like, ex- like very big outfits, especially with um, Jennifer Lopez. Like, yeah. I feel like she has, like, basically, like, one-fourth of the budget just because of all her dresses and stuff walking in the fucking desert. Like, she's, I don't know. I mean, apparently during this time, there's a lot of things that she did that made her a pain in the ass to work with in the early 2000s. Like, one good example is apparently she had a posse that was with her at all points in time. So they had to, like... I thought that was with everybody. Mostly with her. Like, to the point where, like, they had to get room and board for her entire posse, no matter where she went. Why? (laughs) Because she was a star in the early 2000s (laughs) and 90s. That wasn't even part of this movie, or part of me doing research for this movie. That was, like, something I found out about, like... Reading an article on art on actors who are a pain in the ass to work with, and she was one of them. <laughs> yeah, like I guess even with like the outfit choices that they have, like I guess one good example is how um, you don't really see it a whole lot unless once again you're looking for it. But like that beginning scene where they're talking to Edward's parents, uh, everybody is very is dressed like very professionally, and everyone's wearing either grays or browns or like olive, like you know, very subtle kind of blend into the wall kind of clothing. Except for Catherine, who's wearing a lot of red. Kind of showing that she's kind of a fish out of water compared to everyone else around her who is more professional and have PhDs. And she's just a psych- our child psychologist that came from the Bronx. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, they did that on purpose. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm surrounded by all these professionals of PhDs. And I'm just your average run-of-the-mill psychologist. Yep. <laughs> working in clinical studies. <laughs> yeah. But there's that or like, um, I guess with the... Uh, with Carl, the main bad guy, uh, because he has an obsession with flesh, uh, he always has flesh-colored clothing, and he's always wearing long sleeves to hide the rings that are underneath him. And I guess they actually had him wearing a vest underneath his clothing that had the rings attached, so or uh, to see if you can sub- or if people could subtly catch on to it. What is his deal with s- subtlety? And then, and then afterwards, it's like he's that director who's like, they, they didn't see what I wanted them to see. So yeah, I'm the, there tell was, them about it. Yeah, there, there was parts of that in there, in this. There's that, but also going on to subtlety, like uh, going on to like the next scene wherever she goes in for the second time. I guess with that scene wherever, you know, it seems like she's not in the dream world, but then she is in the dream world. And then she's in this little box, which they had a name for it. I can't remember what it was, though. And how you don't know that it's upside down until after she tries exiting it. I guess they actually had a little subtle nod of that of where you can actually see raindrops falling upside down, but they knew that there was only going to be like a handful of people who would catch that. But um, I guess with the visual director, he says that he always caught on to stuff like that with cartoons whenever he was a kid. 
And so whenever people would argue with him of like, oh, no one's ever going to see that. He's like, well, fuck you. I, I see that. And like, I saw that whenever I was a kid. So it's not going to be for everybody, but you know, people will, there will be some people who catch it. So they had like little nods here and there for their saying like, you know, not everyone's going to get it, but there's going to be like two or three people in the theater who are, who are going to catch this. What box are we talking about? Uh, when she enters a second time, remember, uh, she enters the second time and they say that there was a power outage thing and she had to like go to the box and flip the switches again and then she goes to go to the box and all of a sudden she starts doing it does that forced perspective to where she's tiny all of a sudden but right. she sees herself in him lying in the room and then so she just kind of goes in the fetal position and then it just cuts like right away to her being in that box and when she tries opening that box she falls out of it upside down the plastic box it looks plastic and then when she got out it's like she was um attached to the bungee cord or whatever and then she was trying to get out the bungee cord but it kind of dropped her another level I don't even remember this shot. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that was a whole big thing that, with that one, too. I was just really obsessed with the forced perspective shot because I thought that looked really cool. But yeah, after that, yeah, there's her in that box and then lets herself out and then she's upside or hanging upside down from it and then she drops and then she ends up dropping into what's supposed to be the Roman pantheon down there or the, yeah, the floating or the Roman pantheon scene, which apparently is an p- actual place in Rome that's like an ode to the gods. Mm-hmm there and uh during that scene they wanted to make it seem like she was underwater but they had a hard uh, they had a hard time justifying her spending like an entire day inside of a floating tank and then they said it would be would have been a pain in the ass to try to edit out all the bubbles and then apparently they couldn't even get her for that shot like uh there were scheduling conflicts with that so they got her stunt double for that which is why her face is hidden throughout that entire scene and uh they did what they did what's called a dry run so if you want to fake someone being underwater apparently what you do is you film them Film them at 150 frames a second. You put them in a harness and then you blow an industrial fan at them. And that'll give you the scene of being underwater or the sense of being underwater, huh. which is what they did visually for that scene. Huh. And then something that they weren't able to get for the budget is uh, whenever she asks Valentine, the dog, like where Carl is. Apparently, the dog was supposed to turn his head sideways and then it was supposed to turn into an island that whenever you saw the island uh, reflected into the water it was supposed to be a dog's head. Because of budget reasons, they couldn't put that in the movie. Seems like a lot of weird visuals that he's just trying to shove in. Yeah. Well, this is also something that they kind of told him that, like, visually you are, yeah, visually you're going to have no, um, like, no compromises. You can do what you want with this movie, which is what attracted him to the idea of this movie to begin with. I mean, it's the best part of the movie, because I'm not here for the acting. Fair, I guess? (laughs) I mean, J-Lo couldn't pull it off, and I just, I don't, I can't see Vince Vaughn as being a serious actor. I like the plot, though. The plot can be if, I guess, uh, if this movie would have been um, revised. I think the plot is solid. Honestly, I would love to see a remake of this movie. Yeah. This kind of goes into something that we talked about, what was it, last week? About, last week or the week before. Yeah, about how we were saying that uh, Hollywood should probably take some movies that didn't do well. Or movies that were like, where the idea is there, but they could have done more with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, remake those movies instead of trying to remake movies that already did well for its their time. Yeah. That'd yeah. be tricky, though. It would. Because, well, because you're trying to create an environment where you're on good relationship, good relationship with your directors, and you're like, hey, you know a movie that you did? We don't like it, so we're going to give it to someone <laughs> who thinks better than you. <laughs> and apparently, like, because of the way that this, uh, the production team and the director were actually part of the writing process for this, like, they didn't say that much in the commentary, but they kind of owed it towards that about how they changed things in the script for certain scenes to work because they just said like oh yeah this happens and it's supposed to leave it very much the imagination and like okay well how are we supposed to shoot this then and then they 
found ways around it to shoot it and like have it make sense to the plot of the story. Uh, one thing with that though, with I guess after that scene, because that goes into the whole scene with the child abuse and then going off to the scene where he talks about his baptism and how that uh, started with this voice in his head that's telling him to kill women and uh, her becoming one of his dolls in, or in his mind when he puts that collar on her mm-hmm. in one of his Twisted King versions of himself. Um, which I guess with those two, like I guess the director was saying that he tried hiding as much as he could in darkness whenever he was in those Twisted King versions because he said that he found those kind of silly. So he was trying to make it less silly by adding darkness and adding like making it more disturbing for a lot of those scenes. I mean, they were very silly. Yeah. But there's, I don't think you can have that played out fully and not have it be somewhat silly. Right. Which is why whenever earlier you're just like clown violence, I was like, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were important though. Yeah. I, you know what I really didn't like? I didn't like the freaking suit that he was in. Which one? At the end. I don't know. He was like in a weird, like, I don't know. A weird thing. It looked like he was a Dama Matrix. He had like the face of a snake. Oh, yeah. It's like that totally doesn't scare me. That just makes me feel like you want to have sex with me. Yeah. Like that's. Which, once again, like the director kept on saying he found it hilarious. So he tried to hide it in darkness to make it seem more disturbing. I mean, my favorite costume of his was the one where he had his hair and it was like looked like horns. Yeah. It looked, it also looked very silly, but that was just the one that I got the most joy out of i thought it was cool yeah, yeah. I, I i like i like that with the the hair i had one of those sort of dirt moments where i was like i didn't know all hairs attached to one point like two points on your head and then, <laughs> like i had to work through why that wasn't correct <laughs> i mean i guess like a little sitting there watching the movie both your hands on your head like no 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 they don't do that do why they... huh <laughs> what do you know <laughs> Which I guess another little fun fact for this movie is uh, Vince Vaughn actually had his head shaved for this movie. So everything he's wearing hair wise is a wig. Vince Vaughn or Not Vince, Vince Vaughn? D'Onofrio. Uh, thank okay. you. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, those are all wigs. Like the um, his clothing choice and his hair choice for, you know, when he's in reality or whenever you see him during that scene with the wherever that girl's in that bath full of blood. Like that hairstyle was chosen to say that he has like a stunted adolescence to him to where like he never really grew out of being a child. Yeah, uh, his, like, real-world look is very Dahmer-like. Yeah, which, once again, very purposefully done. Mm. Um, another thing that I thought was kind of I thought was kind of funny with it, at least, was uh, that scene, the first time that Vince Vaughn's character ends up going into, like, you know, goes into the entry for, like, the third time, I think, is the entry. That's what they called it. Uh, first of all, I guess the director said, like, he wanted some kind of drug-fueled trip for that, and so it's just, like, very heavily CGI'd for two minutes, and I guess the guy who did it was very proud of it because apparently it made him think of a drug trip he had back in the 70s. And the director's like, yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that, but he says like it was accurate, so I just went with it. It more or less looks like Windows XP's music player visuals. Yeah, it for looks that whole exactly scene. like that. But which probably looked really cool in 2000 whenever this movie first came out, but it's very dated now. There is like a couple of scenes that um there was like a border. And like, I know I watched movies like maybe like, in a year two years ago that like it would have like incorporated like the whole background of it but no this person or the director (laughs) had like the border like just kind of calligraphied on the corners and stuff and i'm just like that is so it looked really bad but i feel like it looking bad was maybe purpose okay well looking bad wasn't purposeful but i feel like the frame thing is purposeful because uh during that scene it very much looks like one of those pictures of the virgin mary 
but yeah. you'd seen like a Catholic church, which I am not a fan of, but it did look like that, but it just looked like that and also bad. Which we'll get in that, to that a little bit. That was, he was going for one thing and another thing happened with that scene. <laughs> so uh, that whole scene where she looks like the Virgin Mary, apparently this is something else that the director was actually kind of angry about with it, <laughs> is he wasn't going for a Christian look on that. The bookmarker that she looks at actually is not the Virgin Mary to get the idea of her outfit. It was actually a Brazilian water goddess called Yemena or Menja. Okay. Yeah, which if you look up pictures of her, kind of has some Virgin Mary-esque looks to it, but it, it wasn't meant to be that. But apparently after he shot it and showed it to test audiences, everyone's like, oh yeah, that's a Virgin Mary. And he's like, well, that's not what I wanted. But if it, people see into to are seeing to it that way, then I guess that's up to them. You need to stop making things so fucking subtle. <laughs> exactly. How is the king of subtlety now upset because this is too subtle? Because <laughs> <laughs> they weren't meant to look at it like the Virgin Mary. They're meant to look at it like it's a Brazilian uh, goddess of water. But yeah, well, if he wants to look work. at it like a Brazilian goddess of water... He needs to set up through the whole movie that there's a Brazilian goddess of water. Because this like is the first w- time I've ever heard about it. I feel it. like yeah. there would be like a different costume choice too. Right. Well, and that's the thing is like when you look at some of the pictures of this, like it is very virgin. Like the way that this goddess is set up, she looks very Virgin Mary-ish anyways. But because Christianity is such a huge thing in America, that's where everybody went with it. Yep, they and have- so he was, with a man that grew up in India, like he fig- figured that people would look at it a different way. No, no. no. <laughs> Christianity is the McDonald's of religion. Yeah, you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the scene that I was originally going to talk about was uh, the mother scene, wherever uh, Vince Vaughn's character, Peter, first goes into there. Uh, Those three women that were sitting in that field were meant to... It was based off of a painting, but they're meant to be like three different representations of his mother. Of one being sympathetic towards him, one not really caring, and one thinking of him as a monster. How are you supposed to know it's his mother? How are you supposed to know that was a painting? That, that, it was based off of that a painting. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, again, one of those things, and uh, unless, like, you were kind of a part of this or you listened to the commentary in detail like I did, you don't really get that subtlety, but, like, also with it... What? It's in, it's in the... It's in what they say. Yeah. But I was going to say, like, it was whispered, and so not everyone's going to see that or hear that. Oh, oh. We have captions on our TV. Yeah. That's probably... Well, we had captions on our TV, too, but I guess Dry didn't read those captions. I only read it if I feel like I can't hear it. And I, I'm not going to lie, I was real bored. So I was just looking at him. Okay. Yeah, those three were supposed to be representations of his mother. Like, the first one says, like, my son, like, I, I've lost him. Do you know where he is? And the second one is, uh, I'm going to be paraphrasing it a lot, but the second one was... Uh, she says, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, she's like, I squeezed him out of my hole. Whatever, big deal, it doesn't matter. And then the third one says, uh, my child is an abomination. He has no soul during that. So it's like three different rep- representations of his mother and like three different ways that he looks at her. But why is he seeing that? Because isn't he going into somebody else's mind at that point? Well, that's, he's seeing that in, uh, the name of Sarah Killer is Carl. He's seeing that in Carl's mind. Oh, okay. But uh, the funny thing about that is uh, those, he wanted it to be three representations of the same person. And I guess they would have had trouble just filming the same actress three times. So they actually got triplets for that scene. But then he felt like he put them in so much makeup that it didn't really matter because no one would have noticed that they were three different people. Yeah, you could have just had three different women in. Yeah. But apparently he made a big deal out of finding triplets for that scene. It's what um it's on the inside that counts though. Yeah. I just imagine him like being at the screening, he's like, Nobody even noticed that they were actually triplets. But yeah, this is another one of those things of where he got triplets, but he put them in so much makeup that it didn't really matter. Yeah. But um yeah, there's that, and then it goes into that other scene, which there's a lot going on in that scene too, which 
I'm going to have to paraphrase on that because apparently I didn't write it down. So that scene wherever, you know, you see Catherine where she's on the bed and she's in her cap or she's in her captured pose, I guess you can say, being one of his dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently he fought to keep that cape in that scene, but it's impossible to walk around with that cape on. What was the point in the cape? I felt like the aesthetics. Capes are cool. Well, capes are cool. And like, you know, that twisted king version of himself would have something eccentric like that cape that kind of goes up and around the way that it does true but that's why it has that pov scene of him sneaking up behind him and then another thing is like people were saying like well why don't they just have him knock him out or like have him like do this or that and he's like well you have to think of it in a dream logic way which is why he just puts a red cloth over his face and all of a sudden he's laying down on a table like as would happen in a dream so here's the other thing it seems like if you don't think it's real then it doesn't affect you and then like in that scene vince vaughn's character He's saying the whole time, like, it's not real, and he's very aware of it. Yeah. So, like, why is he affected by any of it? Because he's he, probably just fighting his brain of saying that this isn't real, which is why he keeps on repeating it's not real. But I think he was a little bit affected by it because the scene where his guts was, like, pulling out, like, a little, like, music box, mm-hmm. yeah. he saw a picture of it at the end of the movie, and, that, and yeah. he yeah. had a little bit of, like, of a shudder, like... He, he demonstrated some behaviors that he was having some mild PTSD from yeah. it. And then he even says like at the end of it that he has like some, uh, there are some images that he remembers of it, but not a whole lot. Right. But um, yeah, and that might just be like a PTSD thing where his mind tried blocking it out of like, it was just a bad dream. Don't worry about it. But like whenever Catherine's killing Carl, that's his name, right? The killer? Yeah. Um, she's like stabbing him and he's like, oh, oh, but he's just like laughing it off because it's not real. Like, it's not real. It's not real. So that right there, a lot of that scene was them uh, apparently like poking fun at him, which I guess the molestation thing was actually or was played into that scene, too, where she did wherever uh, he's trying to tell her to wake up because it's not real. And she's like, oh, did daddy do a bad thing? That was her like teasing him about being molested as a child, apparently in that scene. Okay. And then also wherever he's on the table trying to tell himself that it's not real. And then he starts doing uh, Carl's character starts doing the Ooh, it's not real. It's him teasing him again about him. Basically getting his guts being pulled out by a music box, which is another scene that E would have hated. I mean, I get like when he's teasing him like that, but when he's being stabbed and like she's expecting him to die and he's like mocking her and not dying. Oh, are you talking about the end when it's in uh, her mind? Yeah. So yeah, that it kind of plays into like a whole other thing too. Of He wasn't saying that it wasn't real. He was basically saying like, you don't have the balls to kill me in that scene, which also that scene with the music box plays into that a little bit. Which is something that apparently the director fought for and lost because the original part of that scene was because uh, you know how he uh, they tell her like you've read her file try to find something personal to wake her up right and he tells her you know your baby brother died in a car accident he was in a coma for six months before he died and I'm sorry for telling you this but you have to wake up I guess the original um, scene of that is he wanted to tell her that whenever she was in college she uh, she was forced to have an abortion and she uh, and because of that she was never able to have a stable relationship again. And that was supposed to play into the fact that or why she became a child psychologist and why she has such a deep relationship with um, the child version of Carl because her child would have been about the same age as Carl or as the child persona of Carl during that scene. And why at the very end, whenever she does actually drown him, why it's that much more painful for her is because she basically has to it felt like she had to kill her child twice. Gotcha. That seems way better. Yeah. yeah. Apparently he fought for that, and the production told him, you're going too far. We can't have that in the movie. Well, it doesn't really explain it in the movie either, why she's so, like, 
yeah, that was supposed to be the explanation, but the production team didn't want it. And I thought about that and I was like, that would have been so much better to have that in the movie. And that's another thing he was angry about is that they cut that out of the movie. It would have added some sort of layer to her character. It would have. Which I felt like she didn't have. Like her entire character was just like, I'm a child psychologist. Yeah. Like that's all she had. I'm a child psychologist. I got to prove that I'm good enough to be or here with the big boys. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it breaks its own rules. Like why is the killer able to just not be affected by it? But then Vince Vaughn is. Did he die at the end of the movie? The killer? I don't think yeah. it breaks yeah. any rules. It kind of makes its own rules. Well, I feel like there's something that we have to look at, and it's the fact that when you're in someone else's head, they make the rules you don't. For all intents and purposes, everyone else is a passive observer. They probably only have a body because they have an idea of their own body, but he makes the rules, so if he's going to gut you, you're going to be gutted. You can't really resist. There's never a scene where the characters are able to fight back against him except in dialogue, until she has him enter her world. And then all of a sudden, he's entirely helpless. So they can suggest things to him, but he makes the rules. And I don't know about you, but even if I knew I was in a dream and someone started gutting me, I might low-key start losing my shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, because whenever you're in a dream and you're not aware that it's a dream, like when something happens to you, you panic in the dream. Maybe I'm not explaining this well. Like, she's trying to kill him at the end. Yeah. Carl. She's trying to kill Carl at the end. She's stabbing him a bunch, stabbing him and stabbing him and stabbing him a bunch with the sword. He's bleeding everywhere, but he's not dying. And he's mocking her that he's not dying. But so, it's in her brain. Yeah. So during that, I think that kind of goes into, once again, fantasy and reality kind of blend together. And he's in this dream. Uh, he's just stuck in this dream world. So for him, it probably is real. But the thing is, is it's the two different personas of him. It's the Twisted King version of him and it's the child version of him. And that scene, uh, there's a little nod to it earlier, because like after that scene, remember with the music box, she stabs the Twisted King version, and then she notices blood on the shirt of the little boy. It just once again a little like a little hint towards what's going to happen. And I think in her mind, she's thinking like if I can kill this darker side of him, maybe the uh, child side will uh, it'll just leave the child side of him. But they're so intertwined at the end of it that by her trying to kill the darker side of him, she also starts killing the child side of him. Without realizing it, which is why uh, he says that me God boy, boy me God, you can't kill me because if you kill me, you kill him. And so that was in a weird way him mocking her. But what Jiraiya is wondering is why in cor- when you correlate him towards Vince bon- Vaughn's character, why there's such a different reaction. And I feel like it's going to be a lot in character development because Vince Vaughn probably doesn't have much masochistic tendencies. So they're probably going to relate getting gutted very differently. And one's probably going to be able to keep frame of mind like, yeah, well, whatever, this isn't real. While the other one per- person is literally like, look, I know this isn't real, but I'm really losing my shit. Yeah. Right. And that might more be that might just, you know, difference in character. Yeah, I yeah. guess. It's just, I don't know. It seems weird to me. <laughs> I don't know. I guess with me uh, watching this, once again, I watched the commentary and like, Found out some stuff that product, our, produ- our production like tried to hide really well in the movie. And then also with multiple viewings of it, too, I guess I see a different version of it. But, yeah, I mean, you were told exactly what's happening in every yeah. single scene. Um, <laughs> even stuff that's not even in the movie, you now know. Yeah, like- I now know, which, once again, I think adds a layer to the movie, too, to know that. Which would have given her character more depth. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. I just ended up not, in- not enjoying it. The movie needs to stand on its own. I mean... We- <laughs> You don't judge the quality of a movie by the director's 
interpretation of the movie afterwards. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the movie does need to stand on its own. Yeah. yeah. And then another thing that they want to do, which is probably one of the, or actually, yeah, one of the last facts that I wrote is uh, all the pictures that were in the attic where he sees, like, you know, that guy being gutted in the picture, or, or where his intestines are being wrapped up on that crane in the picture and he has like that ptsd moment like all those pictures on the wall are supposed to be like little subtle hints of things that you see in his mind like Mm -hmm. that addict was kind of just another like a 2d version of what they saw in the mind with it but and that was supposed to basically just go across the pictures or on the wall while the credits rolled but that scene got taken out of the movie why (laughs) that's weird (laughs) just weird things that got taken out uh but also well actually no the reason why that one was taken out is because the movie was supposed to originally end after she talks to Carl and she just like drives off in the car and people felt like there wasn't enough resolu- uh, resolve to her character with uh, her just driving off saying like, okay, well, I'm just going to, I guess this is where we separate our ways then. So a scene that was originally supposed to be in the middle of the movie that got cut for different reasons, wherever she's uh, in Edward's mind and they're getting ready to go sail. Uh, that was supposed to be like in the middle of the movie, wherever they force wake her up out of the dream to let her know that like there's someone there to talk to her and the FBI agents are waiting for her. Uh, during that scene but instead they decided to put that scene at the end of the movie and kind of have a subtle hint that uh she's now in our uh, heat that edward is now in her mind which is why you have the are uh, the trees that are were barren before now have cherry blossoms on them and it's snowing are in the middle of an african desert yeah because i guess another little fun fact though most of this movie was shot on a sound stage for a lot of the weird are uh, a lot of the dream sequences uh they actually went to a specific place that was like a mile off the beach in africa where <laughs> they have some of the highest sand dunes in the world to shoot that scene with edward okay. so like yeah like that's all right so that scene it's a real shot that's a real place uh that boat where she's like oh that boat's too old was a real boat that uh crashed some years back and then whenever the uh the sea lion had drawn back however far away it did like that boat was just left there huh that's weird that that's like the one shot they're like we have to do it in person it has to be everything as real as possible. Well, I guess with that scene is uh, he wanted to do a different project at that or uh, at that uh, specific location, but now he had the budget to do it. Gotcha. So he's just like, well, I guess I'll do it with this one. Yeah, <laughs> more or less. But yeah. So once again, this is one of those movies I feel like in a weird way is kind of like a little hidden treasure. And because it didn't do as well, like apparently it did better than I thought, but people say it didn't do very well. And, like it's not a very well remembered movie. Uh, like even for its time, it's just kind of a movie that came and went, but, uh, the budget for this movie was around $33 million. That's not much at all. No. Which is why they ran to so many budget constraints with it and why some CG looks really good and you probably can't even tell it's CG. And then other CG is really bad. <laughs> like the, you know, movie music viewer right. scene, um, box office wise, it did $104 million. So, it, oh, so it did completely fine. Yeah, it did, it did completely fine in theaters, but it just wasn't like as well remembered. It did have a sequel like nine years later that nobody knew about. Oh, I did not know there was a sequel. Yeah, I didn't know there was a sequel either until I was doing uh, reviews on this movie. Apparently the sequel's bad, like really bad. I want to see that actually. Like, yeah, but that one, uh, from what I saw with the synopsis of that, it's actually a psychic that goes into a serial killer's mind. So she just has psychic powers to go into the mind. <laughs> Which is <laughs> why way change dumber. it? Why change it? I don't know. I I really don't know. Which, like I said, like from what I've told, like that movie flopped hard. Like it was like direct to DVD kind of movie. But yeah, apparently there is a sequel that I didn't know about until after until I was doing research for this movie. Well, I need to go look into that. Apparently, I kind of want to like 
there's a morbid side of me that wants to see how bad they screwed up the sequel that like, I've never heard of it. Like I didn't really enjoy this film, but I'm interested in them trying it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also feel like, you know, if this movie was done today, it probably would have been done a lot better. I mean, depends who's at the helm. That is true too, but with visual style of it and like, I guess people being more open to more bizarre things, like there's more bizarre things they could have gotten away with because they felt like they, for this movie, they felt like they got away with too much in a weird way because the director kept on trying to push it, like go further with it, go further with it, like go as visually crazy as you want with the scene. I feel like they, if it came out nowadays, if this movie came out exactly like it is nowadays, uh, you know, let's pretend like it has really good CGI though. Yeah. And you can't tell. Um, it would be very tame, I think, for the most part. There's the the gut scene is a lot, and then him hanging and masturbating is a lot. But besides that, everything else is fairly tame. Yeah. Like, they could have gotten... Well, I guess the horse scene is probably another scene that... He says people got really weirded out about that, because if there was, like, a woman that was there that got cut up in, by glass and separated like that, people would have been more okay with it than cutting up a horse. I disagree. I would have been more freaked out by the woman thing. I remember the horse thing being way more graphic than it was, though. Yeah. Because I, I remember that shot. Like, I remember seeing that everywhere, and I just remember it being really, really graphic, and it, it's just not even the most graphic thing in the film at all. Right. And that's another thing. Like, apparently that that room was real. Like, they built that room in a soundstage, uh, and they had a real horse there, but they took still pictures of the horse, and so, like, whenever the, the glass drops in that room and cuts the horse into pieces, that's completely CGI. The room is CGI, the glass is CGI, and the horse is CGI. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. What happens with the other scene that's, like, kind of towards, like, the end where, like, there was, like, this crowbar across this guy's chest, and then they just twisted it off and just pulled it right the fuck out. So that was a mix of practical effects and CGI. So, like, the blood is, or the blood and, like, the flesh that's still attached to the bar is CGI. But I guess, like, with the, bo- like, with the bar uh, being pulled off, they had, like, some kind of gelatin mixture that was on his chest, and they just had her pull on it. I actually forgot about that. That's something that the director said that they wanted it, that the production team was like, you can't have this in the movie, and he just filmed it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I spend $2 million on it, they can't tell me no. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, like I said, uh, this is the first time that he had like a real budget to make a movie for it, but also they ran to constraints. Like I said, uh, one scene that I thought would have been really cool is like when she asks Valentine where the house is and the dog turns his head sideways. And it turns into an island that's reflect like when reflected into the water looks like a dog head sideways turning like going from an actual dog to that would have been a really cool scene. But because of budget constraints, they couldn't do that. I mean, that would have been a cool transition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess let's get on to the final thoughts. Okay. I guess I'll go with Angelica first. Our final thoughts on this movie in a rating of one out of 10. I'll give this movie like a solid six. Um, so the plot in its basic form, I like it. Straightforward. Psychologist goes into a serial killer's mind, trying to figure out um, where's this missing girl at. The visuals were really good for 90s, not for 2020 and pandemic. Yeah, yeah it is very aged CGI-wise. Right. Um, there is some stuff that basically I missed, but everyone missed because we didn't read the commentary. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it... it <laughs> I have nine pages of notes that I did for this movie. Uh, That's how much the commentary told me. I mean, it's it's a basic film. I mean, would I go to the like movie theater to see this? No, but at least I have some sense into what a schizophrenic serial killer's mind is. It's very colorful. That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, going from right to left, I guess I'll ask Rocky next. 
Um, I think that this is this is a good movie. Um, I feel like you. I feel like you could kind of tell that the this the director had a lot of learning to do, and probably ran into some things that maybe someone a little bit more seasoned wouldn't have ran into. I feel like this is one of those movies where you really do not want budget constraints. Um, especially when we're, we're talking about scenes that could potentially make or break the movie. I think taking that in consideration, how the director worked around those constraints, I think is a show that, you know, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. There's definitely skill made into this movie. Um, I feel like I also understand the subtlety, why there's so much subtlety. It's you're, you have a, you're in a dream and the subconscious mind is operating everything. And the subconscious mind is all about subtlety, right? It's the things you don't see on the surface. So that's okay. I think what I don't like is how the story is supposed to be driven by the subtlety. Um, I don't think the, the audience has to pay that much attention. That doesn't make sense to me. I also don't feel like the audience really has to pay that much attention. And I'll add that to credit to the director as well. I don't feel like the story here really matters. You really are in this for the visuals. It, it, there were definitely B-rated horror movie shots I didn't like. The thing that they did, I don't know if you guys recall, where she's walking in the hallway and then they like the camera shivers and then cuts back and then shivers away. I was like, who watches that shot? I was like, that's the one. That's really going <laughs> to capture the feeling. <laughs> So there there are some things with the shots I felt like if you are so hyper visual focused, which I feel like this is what the movie really was supposed to be, um, that you really don't want. Um, and also a huge part of the plot takes away from that because you don't care. Like you don't care what the FBI agents are doing. You don't care what they're doing on the ground. You care what they're doing inside the killer's head because, yeah, it's fun. It's There's a lot of very gorgeous uh, things. I mean, that shot with the dog, in my opinion – I feel like was to me the best shot in the movie because it just it just resonated with me on a very I guess on a very visceral level you know um, the scene at the Pantheon uh, where the dog's shaking and the blood's going oh, everywhere yeah. in the bathtub so yeah there's there's a lot of good to this movie and there's just a a lot of not good and I think I would give this movie maybe a, a high seven like a seven point eight um, and that is because of the visuals the visuals do make this movie very interesting also the uh the serial killer uh, the getting into the mind of the serial killer was a lot of fun i feel like they excelled there too okay and uh Drya, what are your final thoughts um yeah uh i went into this thing it's very straightforward and i do think the main plot is extremely straightforward i think that the director added a lot of subtlety and stuff that didn't need it and takes away from the movie actually i think because like Rocky said, like you're supposed to rely on this subtlety to get these big things that change what a character is. And it's like literally like that Vince Vaughn line of like, trust me, I would know. Yeah. Like, it's too subtle. It's it's so subtle, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and that, that is fair. And then like, yeah, there were just a couple of like weird mistakes as a new director that he made. Like, if you want people to pay attention to the side of the screen, put something interesting on the side of the screen. Don't put a half-naked lady there. Yeah. No matter like who you are, like, if there's a half-naked lady and that looks like the center of the shot, that's what they're going to concentrate on. They're not going to concentrate on the wall. It's just not how it works. Like, visually, there are some really, really good scenes. Uh, I think, for the most part, he went with just, what the fuck am I looking at? Which makes sense, because you're in a serial killer's mind and uh, there's no way in to really... Yeah, in a dream, and you're 
there's no way to really know what that will look like. Cause I think that represents it really fairly well, honestly. There's some stuff that I think doesn't make a lot of sense, but maybe it's not supposed to make sense because it's a dream, but I kind of just want it to. Like like I said, like this movie kept ma- reminding me of Inception, and Inception has very clear rules of how it all works. Yeah. Lays it all out, and like, this does this, and this is this, and this is this, and that's how this works. It's a whole thing. There's one, two, and three. And this puts it into where it's like, it says, like, here's one, and then here's seven. And everything else in between it is, I don't know, we didn't <laughs> think about it. And then they, like, present you things within two through six, and you're just supposed to attach it to something. And it feels like, for me at least, it just doesn't doesn't attach. A lot of it feels, uh, I don't know, lost. It's, like, kind of a void. It all feels kind of like a void and very dreamlike, which is cool, which makes the visuals great. But I think it doesn't help for uh, a good story. And I didn't like the acting. I thought the cast was weird. They didn't work together. They didn't feel like they had charisma. I don't believe jennifer lopez and vince vaughn would be good friends in any world (laughs) so that just didn't work for me personally yeah i i agree with joe uh jennifer lopez is just not a good actress (laughs) she just doesn't know how to do it she is definitely uh a pop star in a hollywood role right like i've never seen anything in her i'm like huh that j-lo you know (laughs) <laughs> Which the weird thing is, is this isn't even the most bizarre movie I've seen her in. She did a, another horror movie before this called U-Turn, which is actually... Also bad. <laughs> it, it's also bad. It's also... It's fucking weird. Yeah, like, I I would not recommend this movie to people. Like, even just getting to the end of this discussion, there's... I'm I'm losing this movie. It's just being lost to to the nothing. And I imagine there's a couple of visuals that I'll remember by the end of it, but... I doubt I'll even remember that Vince Vaughn's character was in it in two weeks. Like, it's just, it's just not going to be Considering there. you had a moment of like, oh yeah, Vince Vaughn was in Psycho. I, no, I definitely remember he was in Psycho. Uh, that's just a really bad remake. It's really bad. It's literally <laughs> shot for shot. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. This movie just doesn't, doesn't do it for me in a lot of ways. Visually is, I think, the thing that I keep going back to. It, it, there's some really great shots and some cool nightmarish things and dreamscapes. And that puts it at, like, a real low six <laughs> okay. for me. Like, it's it's above average visually. Everything else, I would say, is below average. But, yeah. How about you, Robbie? I, I disagree with you for a few things, but <laughs> like he's, it's like we say before. We have differing, differing opinions, and we'll both fight to, you know, for those opinions. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, like, I do enjoy this movie. But I think it's part of it has to do with, like I said, a little bit of nostalgia on my end. And also with the fact that, like, throughout pretty much my entire life, I've actually told, I think, everyone in this room a couple of bizarre dreams I've had growing up. And sometimes with, like, that dream logic, which a lot of this movie just deals with dream logic, you just kind of have to fill in the gaps yourself, which I think he wanted to do that. And some of it, like you guys said, it is too subtle. Like, I found that out while listening to the commentary of, like, oh, I didn't realize I was supposed to pay attention to that. But there's a lot of scenes that are very on the nose. And so the stuff that is subtle is just too hit or is too subtle. Right. It's just like, you know, you're supposed to find a, I guess a good example of that, it'd be like, oh, you're supposed to find a pack of cigarettes that's hidden in the scene, but there's a big juicy ass sitting in front of a fridge, so you like, don't see it. <laughs> at a certain point, I have expected you to be like, uh, whenever she eats a grape in this scene and then starts crying, you're supposed to realize that her father drowned in a grape orchard when he was younger due to well, a flood. And so that's the emotion that you're supposed to be getting out of this scene. And I don't know how people haven't picked up on that. Well, I guess another thing that was actually very subtle in there was... um. Edward, the boy that was originally in the coma that she was uh, dealing with, 
was uh on a or was on a sailing trip where um there were seals on the beach and apparently like he fell off the boat and whenever he i can't remember exactly what it was he fell off the boat he may have gotten attacked by a seal or something like that but that's one reason uh why he has a fear of seals and why maki lock has a kind of a seal quality to him and has those flippers on his hands is because he has a fear of, of them which once again that's a very subtle thing not a lot of people catch on to i don't even remember the full story about that one but yeah like that's very subtly hidden in that movie too like with uh where she has like that poster board where she has his picture of like a billionaire's son uh goes into a mysterious coma and then like how there was se- our seals being killed <laughs> off the shore of some shore that they were at and stuff like that like a little bit too subtle it's also such a small part of the movie yeah like- it is but once again i think that is they're playing it there's so much stuff that is very very on the nose and a lot of stuff that's a little bit too subtly hidden so it is flawed. It is very, very flawed. And I'd be the first to admit that it is flawed. But I love the premise of the movie, of it being in this very dreamlike state and like kind of seeing someone else's mindset and almost this animus situation like you would see in like Assassin's Creed. Uh, so in a lot of weird ways, they made some mistakes. And in some ways, I feel like it is a story that I feel like would be really cool to be revisited. Uh, and, you know, maybe with better actors and that have better charisma and like a better written story. But all in all, because of things that they do that are very visually stunning, even for its time, and just some of the ideas that they put in, or that they plant in that movie, I really do like it. I'd say it's a 7.5 out of me, for me. Cool. Cool. Means Rocky has the highest rating. Yeah. How the fuck did I rate it higher than you? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's very flawed. I do like this movie, but I, I also know that there's a lot of things they did wrong in this movie, and that's why I gave it a lower rating. <laughs> You fucker! You did that at the last minute. Actually, I was originally going to give it a seven. What the fuck? Oh, fair enough. But yeah, like I said, visually, there's a lot of very stunning things they do with this movie, and there are ideas like with better writers, they could write, you know, the mind of a serial killer, where you actually have to go in as like go inside the mind of a serial killer, like something like that, or inside of the mind of a schizophrenic, you know, dealing with stuff like that uh, in a very dreamlike nightmare state. It's very cool how they did it. And I give them a lot of props for that too. But like I said, some stuff is too subtly hidden. And like one of the guys who did a lot of like, I think the visual effects lead was saying uh, that there's people who fought him saying like, you know, this is too subtle. Like, you know, people aren't going to notice this. And he's like, but there's going to be like two or three people who, um, who see this in the theaters and notice these little subtleties that I put in the film because I noticed those as a kid and it's for those people. Fair enough, I yeah. guess. So it is kind of one of those, I, I know it's flawed and I recognize that it is. And like for people who don't like this movie, I completely understand, but it is a movie that I do enjoy. But it has potential though. It does. It has a lot of potential and I would just love to see them revisit this in like some kind of remake or something that has the same kind of premise as this movie does. And yeah. then make the cut. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> there is a movie that has a similar premise to this that is way better. And it's called Identity. Yes, actually. That movie's kind really of, yeah. good. That's a great movie. I remember a phrase from that movie still. It just sticks with me. It's that little poem about the man on the stairs. The one is like, I met a man upon the stairs, and I'm I, I'm I'm not saying it for verbatim because I can't remember it that close. But I was like, I met a man upon the stairs, the man who was not there. He was again. He was there again today. I wish I wish he'd go away, or something like that. And it's just it just sticks with me. Yeah, it's really good. 
Too bad we didn't watch that movie today. <laughs> <laughs> we can get to it eventually. <laughs> this is what happens when you let me choose movies. Apparently, Dry is always disappointed. You just have a weird taste in movies, man. That is also fair. You really like that 2000, 2006 era of film. I mean, I showed you guys a movie from the early 90s, and apparently you and E really like that one. El Mariachi. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. That's a fun yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you guys for uh, being on the episode. Thank you, Robbie. Not a problem. Thank you, Joe, for being back again yeah, after a million years. Yeah, thanks for showing years. up again. Hey, no problem. Hopefully you can be back sooner rather than later. Well, yeah. it's in another 10 months, but you know. <laughs> Give or take a month or two. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Maybe eight months this time. Right? And thank you, Rocky. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, everybody out there, for listening. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can do that at the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is the last ones in podcast at gmail.com dot com uh tell us the weirdest dream you've had that's not sexual please uh that would be cool yeah um and take us out robbie if you're out there protesting please do it safely wear a mask wear gloves use hand sanitizer get tested also this is going to be coming out uh probably a little late if you are registered to vote please go out and vote it is a very important thing to do uh i don't know it, it might be past your time to get registered. Check your state, if you're in the United States, check your state when registration is closed. It is important. Please go out there and vote. If you're not going out to the polls and you're not protesting, stay home, stay alive, stay safe. There you have it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another Halloween movie. It's a classic. It's going to be a fun one. See you then. Bye. Later. Ta-ta! And every time you want McDonald's, it's never like when you should be eating... Well, I guess maybe you should never be eating McDonald's, but the times when you're like, I could really go for like a McFlurry and McDouble right now is like 3 in the morning. Yeah. So like, what's the point when of you're... being a McDonald's if you're not going to be open at 3 in the morning? Yeah, I know. The Psycho remake with Vince Vaughn in it, the director went out of his way to make literally a shot-for-shot remake, frame-by-frame, of the original Psycho to show Hollywood how bad remakes are. Like, that was literally his point. (laughs) Um, And he he succeeded. It's a really bad remake. That was a great business business school, from my understanding. It's a really good teaching school. Yeah. Yeah. And some university. (laughs) You jerk. (laughs) Oh, no, they're turning on me. (laughs) 